Karibu. Welcome to the first 2021 episode of Nimbe Story, which is a fortnightly podcast that brings you audio versions of short story fiction from Kenya and across the continent. I'm your host, Kevin Mwachiro. And on this episode, we are featuring the story, Let Me Be Your Sugar Boy by Adaize Nwadike. Oh guy, I beg you, they waste my time. Fine girl like you, no fit leave 50 naira. She stood by the driver's side of the kekena pep, thinking of what to do to the driver if he refused to hand over her change. Area one, area one, beggar we say AYA. The noise at Mararaba was unbearable. The stench that came from under the bridge where beggars sat, mostly women and children, made her stomach grumble. A car pulled over. Some of the women and children ran to it for arms. By the other side of the road, a little crowd had gathered. A bus driver tried to zoom off without giving a passenger his change. The passenger, fast enough, had dragged out the driver's car key and swallowed it. The crowd urged him to vomit. The passenger hurled curses at the driver in Hausa. Kuna hauka, kuna gara kunwama ni irunku, zaku banku yao. He made to leave, but the crowd had circled him. They pressed the driver, who at that time looked defeated and handed in the change. When he did, the passenger dramatically vomited the key. The crowd jeered, swelled and thickened like well-made akamu. Matachi couldn't see through the crowd anymore. The keke driver handed her a tired-looking 50 naira note, and she waved down another keke to continue her journey. She was running late to school, but she cared less. She was not surprised the incident she'd witnessed. She just found it as funny as she found the city. It wasn't the brilliance of the city that fascinated her, not the job she got immediately after the compulsory one-year service. Neither was it the shakara in everything the city laid claim on. It was a consciousness, the consciousness of who she had become, a teacher and what she had left behind, Abba. She knew the new city was superficial, and she didn't care. She was still a stranger, and her feet were shallowly rooted. People spoke English with a fake accent. The paints of their walls peeled in sizable slats by the slightest touch. Street paths were littered with men defecating, and of course peeing, not minding the sun and its intensity. The ladies covered truth with hijab, And the city dwellers, after she'd weighed them in her scale of judgment, were balloons big for nothing. The thought of leaving Abba had made her feet so light she could fly. Abba, her childhood city, was a woman in her last days. Aging, not that she was ever young. Breasts in slumber, not that they ever stood. Although she felt sorry for the city, she'd been happy to leave happy and proud. She grew up in Obohia, the Nazareth of Abba, where no one was rich and no one was poor. Abba girls at that time were not tush. They didn't dream. They got pregnant and moved in with men, then laid babies like eggs. If any girl landed a decent wedding, she automatically became chair lady. Matachi sometimes felt a curse was placed on the city. No girl made it out alive. They would all grow old in there and die. Only the chosen ones left. 
And here she was, chosen. She had left, and this time, never to go back. Morning assembly was over and students made for their classes when she arrived. She stepped into Year 11 O class and wrote literature in English on the board that hung before her like a giant notebook. She turned to the students and remembered her mother, her hard-working mother who wore black for days when she told her parents she was leaving to start her own life in Abuja. Men don't like women who live alone in big cities. Matachi, you won't put me to shame, not while my chi is still breathing. Even her father didn't take the news well, but she didn't change plans. She knew they were going through a process. It must be difficult to watch your child grow up and begin to seek independence. She felt sorry for them, her mother especially, but she left on a rainy Sunday morning. If one was going to amount to something, one must be selfish with one's life, she had thought. Even after she left, her mother kept calling and pleading, Are you sure you're safe? Come back if you want to. Until she received her first salary and sent home 30,000 naira. While she waited for her students to get ready for the lesson, she imagined her mother giving a testimony in church on a Sunday. Butterflies of pride circling round and round her head like a halo, crowning her queen mother, she said, Adambusikwa teacher na Abuja. She teaches English language to Oibo children. Umukwa na mumu professor. There were no white kids in the school at the moment, but considering the school ran a British curriculum and her mother was a storyteller, she made room for all things in her imagination. It was on one of such Sundays that she met Kachi. The resident pastor of their church, Victory Methodist Church, had been transferred and a new pastor sent. The new pastor resumed work on a testimony Sunday. He testified of how his daughter had survived a fire accident that was meant to claim her life. She had scars still, he said, pulling up her clothes so the congregation could be witnesses to the unfortunate event, although the wounds were far healed. Kachi was the last child of the new pastor, and, as typical of lastborns, he was soft in the eyes. His eyes sparkled, and with them he sent Matachi a wink during a sermon. The wink was the beginning of a trip that would pretend it had no end. Kachi was neither here nor there in everything, colour and height inclusive, so she called him Bat. He didn't like that she called him Bat. He pleaded and argued that she called him something else, something sweet to be precise. Honey, for example. She always won the argument for the name to the last a little more, and he would always resign to his fate by saying, Well, I'm never too sure of anything but you. She told him everything. She told him the name of a girl she liked, told him that sometimes she would look at the mirror and refuse to see. He called it a defence mechanism and they laughed. His laughter rang like the soft chiming of bells. It climaxed into a love song she used to know. When she thought of it, she felt a line from it said, Do not be afraid, you don't have to hide anymore. Kachi returned to complete his programme at Michael Okbara University and Matata returned to secondary school and a teaching job in a primary school after she graduated. One Saturday morning she went downstairs because she heard an unusual knock at the gate. 
And there he was, a roadside flower in his hand and a card on which he wrote, Let me be your sugar boy. She hugged him and whispered in his ear that she would consider, although his proposal had reached the dusty part of her heart, and inside she was screaming, Yes! Yes! In the days that followed, he walked her back from school, dropped by the school enough to know the names of all the kids in her class, took her to fancy places now and then. Because Matachi's father was a doctor, Kachi faked fever fortnightly so he would visit. He called her on MTN Midnight Tariff every night to remind her he was empty without her. On her part, Matachi told her mother that school dismissal time had moved to four o'clock, so she left school by three every day, went to the pastor's house, cuddled and kissed with her pastor's son for an hour before going home. On one of their careless days, Uzochi, his sister, walked in on them. She threatened to tell unless Kachi recharged her phone for as long as was enough to appease her pious soul. The recharge cards also meant they could go on with kissing and touching only. When Matachi playfully told her friend Oge that she was sucking Kachi's dick, Oge said they were desecrating a holy place and they were burning the hottest part of hell. Kachi got a job with a bank in Mwakia and Matachi got admitted to study English and literature at the University of Nigeria, Unsuka. A night to her departure, he told her in the cold of January Hamatan that he wanted her back in his arms as a wife. Matachi felt the Hamatan breeze rushing into her heart like spears of ice. She stood there in all her uncleanliness, a typical Abba girl, and a banker was asking to marry her. She told him she was not sure yet, and when he left, she began to cry. On the day she'd leave for the university, she sat in a bus at Peace Park, waiting for other passengers to join the vehicle she had boarded. Kachi alighted from a kekena pep and began dialing her number. He stood by the window of the bus, warning her of life at the university. He made her laugh and laugh till she began to cough and another passenger offered a sachet of water. But university is a sad, wild place. Like weevils to tendrils, it fights against every dream and aspiration. It fought Kachi's love. The night calls reduced. This was after Matachi joined a campus fellowship that preached against dating. After sermon every Sunday, she felt like a filthy rag before God. And one Sunday, after she gave her life to Christ for the 50th time, she told Kachi over the phone that it was over. The next day, he called her to say he was at Chitti's and she should see him for the last time. He had arrived at Unsuka the previous night. His sacrifice and effort did not change Matachi's mind. The call stopped finally when she met a guy who broke her flower and drilled a hole in her heart. After Nzuka, she was posted to Benue State for the National Youth Service. At Makurdi, the sun was brightest. It came so early and went to sleep late. In the tenderness of the city, she fell in love again. She had taken a stroll to see the apartment she was about to rent. Thatch houses and lands. She walked in the shelter the blooming darkness provided, in the chilling cold the sun had allowed for briefly. It was a little busy by the roadside. Men drank gin from the same cup as if it was the Eucharist. 
people gathered round a woman for hot cups of soya. The stem from the cooler from which she poured for everyone married the weather. Soya milk was drunk hot too. The voices of little children punctured the dark. Tiv here, idoma there. Hmm, she didn't get anything. Her landlady-to-be warned about noise. I'm quiet, ma, but I have few friends. They may be visiting. On her way back, she saw a girl who looked about eight years old, trying to free another girl of her age of a strange spirit. Witch, come out! Witch, come out! She said in polished pigeon as she walked around her, jiggling an imaginary bell around her head. They reminded her of Obanje in Dizzy Angel. Matashi thought about love. What would love feel like in this place, this night, bodies in harmony? She imagined herself in ten years walking down the streets of Makurdi, holding a lover's hand. She felt the air glide through her lungs like water bubbles, felt the cold grip her skin like a jealous lover. It was at that central time, at that very moment, when daytime transitioned to nighttime, that she fell in love again. He seemed to have been following her. Hi. I've been wanting to talk to you. He was stout. She found it attractive that his dark skin found ways to luster in the dark. When he smiled, his white teeth that sat neatly like corn seeds lit his face in the promising night. I am Fern. Matachi. You're Ibo, right? She replied with a smile. Matachi was pleased by that question. Not too many people thought her Ibo. Ibo girls were usually light-skinned, but she wasn't. Sorry I followed you. I see you around Mount Carmel College. Do you teach there? Yes. I live by the school. I've seen you a couple of times and wanted to talk to you. Can I see you tomorrow? The next day, he sat at the Mary's Grotto that stood at the entrance of the school where she taught and waited for her. While they walked home, he told her he was a student. His school was on break and if she didn't mind, he would like to be friends. He would begin to see her every day and she looked forward to his coming. He would invite her to her house at weekends for lunch. I wanted to be a chef until I had my epiphany, he would say. Matashi didn't care about his epiphany. She was occupied with happiness. Fern made her happy. She liked that he was devoted to pleasing her. Yet she felt something was lacking in him. Matachi woke up one morning and realised she'd not seen or heard from Fern in days. She felt guilty and quickly dialed his line. It didn't go through. She checked his house day after day. She would sit at the door and wait till dawn. No one answered. It occurred to her that he might be avoiding her, and she stopped checking. Matachi wondered what she might have done wrong. She locked herself in her room for days and cried. She missed him. She wished she could see him one last time, so she could tell him how much she loved him. One morning, Matachi opened her door and saw him standing. She let him in, and for the first time he hugged her 
and wouldn't let go. She kissed him. There was a lingering taste of wine in his mouth and she was certain he'd gone for mass and that he drank the blood of Christ. He moved away from her and sat at the end of the bed. Were you avoiding me? Did I do something? No, you didn't. I'm so confused. What happened? Matachi asked. I wish... I just wish I could plant my future in your palms and let it bloom. Matachi moved closer to him and offered her palms. Go on. Plant, she said laughing. I can't. Why not? I'm studying to be a priest. A deafening silence followed. Matachi's hands dropped in shock. Why didn't she ask? Why didn't she notice how often he went to church? By how tenderly he spoke of God? He lifted Matachi's face and looked in her eyes like he was searching for a thing long lost. I want to be with you, he said. Leave the seminary, Matachi responded. I can't leave. A lot of people have a lot of expectations for me. I can't let them down. But it's your life, not theirs. No, my life was never mine. Give me time, please, Fern pleaded. Matachi told him to leave and never come back unless he was sure of what he wanted. She would curse God later that evening while she prepared her dinner. It occurred to her that what Fern lacked was Kachi's sweetness and she feared that no one might love her the way Kashi would. She avoided Fern. She worried if anyone already suspected that he was in love with her. This was because Makodi was a vast land but a small city. Everyone would hear. They would call her Jezebel or chant a song in Tiv to mock her. What kind of priest allows a girl to fall for him? She hated him so much. Yet she thought sweetly of him. He was the most important thing to her at that moment. She longed for his touch in the shades of all darkness. She wanted him so badly she could say fuck you to everything that seemed important. But he was going to be a priest. And everything that left his mouth sounded like a prayer. And when he genuflected before the grotto of the Virgin Mary, one could see through his soul a sinner saved by grace. Abba had reached menopause when she returned from service. She hated the city because the city hated itself. It wore a sad countenance that lasted all day and ran into new ones. A girl in the neighborhood had died from an abortion and the city mourned and cursed. Why she go remove him? No be amazed they carry bele bonam. A strange loneliness gripped her throat. Its hold was enough to choke her. Even the smile that nestled on the face of her mother couldn't save her. She wrote a poem that summarised her love affairs and made it public on Facebook. Kachi loved the post, as he had done all her posts before that one. Later, he dropped a message on Messenger. This would be the first in four years. She read the message enough to memorise it in less than a minute. 
She asked tons of questions in split seconds and he answered them all. She had waited so long for that message. She had searched for her sugar boy in every other man and he was elusive. She read the message again, this time thinking of a reply. And instead of, but I've longed for you, which rang in her head, she sent a smiling emoji. He said he was sad that she compared his love to that of university fuckboys and that he was happy all her relationships ended badly and that he wanted to meet. They met at a lounge somewhere in Forks Road. While he hugged her, he called her stainless. When they untangled, he added, Nah, you didn't change one bit. He told her that he had been transferred back to Abba and she feared the curse of the city had caught up with them. He suggested they went to his house, which was a stone's throw from the lounge. And although she wanted some privacy so she could kiss and touch him again, she objected. He teased that she had grown into a lady and she whispered that he was still her sugar boy. As they got high on cheap talks and bebe soup, Kachi pleaded that she followed him home. She couldn't say no anymore. There, she let him kiss her like old times. And while he made love to her, Bambi by Jidemma was on repeat. Their eyes shut to the world, their souls amalgamating. As they lay naked, breathing into each other's face, Kachi, who'd been playing with her waist beads, sharply stood up from the bed. Then he went down on his knees. He pulled out a ring case from his side drawer and asked her to marry him. Matachi hurriedly wore her clothes and left. She told him over the phone that she'd left because she didn't want to say no or yes until she was very sure. Sure of what? he asked. He stopped picking her calls afterwards. She left uncountable messages and he replied none. She called Uzochi for assurance and she guaranteed her position as the one and only wife. You are wifey, my brother is yours, live and direct. And nah, forget to go do that maga. Uzochi's reply bore all the crudeness of Abba brought ups. She laughed. Kachi began posting pictures of a skinny, light-skinned girl. The brilliance of the girl's skin as opposed to hers filled Matachi with rage. She unfollowed him on Facebook, but he tagged mutual friends and the pictures still found ways to her. When the pictures kept coming and wouldn't stop, Uzochi told her to swallow pride and fight for what belonged to her. She went to Kachi's house on a Saturday when she was sure he would be at home. The light-skinned girl answered the doorbell. She said Kachi was busy and Matachi could wait in the sitting room if she wanted. Matachi couldn't bear another girl giving her instructions in Kachi's house, but she tried hard to be polite. She told the girl to inform Kachi that someone wanted to see him. She turned down her request. Matachi called her Uturaocha. When the girl began to cry, Matachi left the house, banging the door behind her with the intention of destroying the hinges. She would unfriend him later on Facebook and from her heart. She was discussing Child of the Sea by Chizomo Kafo with her students and she remembered Kachi. She had woken up that morning with him in mind. She had dreamt the other night that her father walked her down the aisle. He gave her out to a man who had backed the world. When he turned to behold her face, it was Kachi. She screamed and made to hug him and then he dissolved into a wave of dust. 
She couldn't stop thinking about him. She remembered how he would force her to pose for a snap with his Nokia C4 and then tease her that she wasn't photogenic. That morning as she taught her students, she was sure the time was right. She was ready to be a wife. She knew she would call him when she left the class or later that day. Pesley's Can't Stop Falling in Love with You was playing over the radio when she got home. She imagined dancing with Kachi, his lips on hers melting like sugar. She lay on the bed to dial his number. Some calls should be made on the bed. She worried about the light-skinned girl. She was swiping through her contacts for his number when a notification popped in. A friend had tagged her to a Facebook post. She logged on to Facebook. When she opened the notification, she saw Kachi's picture. He still has his smile, eyes dazzling, but someone had written, rest in peace, across his chest. She paused, refreshed the page, and again, his face lit by those eyes that stole her heart, smiled at her through the screen, with those shocking words still across his chest. She would click on the picture and it would lead her to his profile. Her mind was on a marathon. Drought took over her eyes. She scrolled through two posts, three posts, more. One of the posts said his gas exploded on Monday. He'd been at the hospital till early hours of Friday when he passed on. She tried to quantify the pains he would have been through before death. Was there a metric system for calculating pain? She wondered if the fire pulled off the first layer of his skin, leaving him naked and bare to the world. Did his body melt like rubber or turn baked like brick? For days she stalked Uzochi's wall for confirmation of the news and found nothing. She feared that warm-hearted Uzochi had grown cold and would soon grow stale. Matachi's mother called to say she was sorry for her loss, that she knew Kachi loved her. She begged her to be strong. While her mother spoke, a certain energy raced to her eyes. She opened her mouth and nothing came. An ocean was welling up at the shores of her eyes. She wished Abuja was Abba, so she could run to Kachi and give him all the love she had saved in years. She dialed his number for the last time, and it didn't go through. She cried. It was as though a body of water had been let loose inside her. She began screaming. Grief, indeed, is love with no place to go. All the energy, all that love gathered in Matachi's eyes and she let them flow. She didn't stop them. She wouldn't even be able to stop them if she tried. She let them flow and flow. The time was finally right. Her love was ready to be made known. And she couldn't hide them anymore. Let Me Be Your Sugar Boy was read to you by Bola Mosoro and written by Adaize Nwadike. Adaize teaches English and literature at a secondary school in Abuja, Nigeria. She's a graduate of English from the University of Nigeria Nsuka and an administrator of Cradle Poetry Contests. She enjoys reading, writing, mentoring young aspiring writers and traveling. 
Her works have appeared in Lolway, Little Stone Journal, Arts Lounge, Praxis Online, among others. Nipe Story is available to download wherever you get your podcast from. Please write a review, rate and share the podcast with your people. You can follow us here on SoundCloud. On Facebook, we are Nipe Story. And on Twitter, our handle is Nipe underscore story. Wishing you a better year. Be well and keep safe. Nipe Story is a finger piano production. <laughs>